Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. President of the COP26 summit Alok Sharma urges countries to sign up to its draft agreement on climate action. He's hoping that other nations follow the UK's example by agreeing terms and then only breaking them in limited and specific ways whenever they feel like it in the immediate future. Former Trump strategist Steve Bannon is charged with contempt of Congress over his refusal to cooperate with the January 6th committee. Bannon says he isn't afraid of prison, mainly because he's already spent most of the Trump administration in the company of white supremacists and criminals. It is revealed that Natalie Elvick, the Tory MP who told Marcus Rashford to stick to the day job, has a second job of her own. The similarities between Mr Rashford and a Conservative MP end there, however, as when he needs to face a penalty, his boss doesn't try and change the rules at the last minute. And finally, the website for Angling Direct is hacked to display pornography. The cyber attack is said to have been the result of a phishing scam, which Angling Direct fell for hook, line and sinker. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, frantically scrabbling to cover up his awkward conflicts of interest, and you're listening to another episode of IC News. Aw, did you think all this second jobs controversy would be done and dusted this week? Clearly, so did the Prime Minister, but it appears to be rumbling on just like one of Geoffrey Cox's speeches in the one appearance that he actually makes in the House of Commons every six years. Remember that cringeworthy, this is a sham parliament speech he gave after Boris Johnson unlawfully prorogued it not so long ago? Turns out that it wasn't just his amateur dramatics voice that Cox was projecting, as he was also publicly confessing to just how little work he actually does for his constituents while collecting his paycheck as an MP. The second jobs genie is well and truly out of the bottle, and Conservative MPs have been rocked this week by a raft of revelations over their second, third and fourth incomes many of which appear to be conflicting with and contradictory to their roles as public servants. There looks to be no easy way out of this controversy for the Prime Minister, who himself has earned roughly £4 million from his commitments outside of politics over the last few years. Any face-saving crackdown on second jobs and lucrative consultancy positions for MPs now would be an act of brazen hypocrisy on his part, and Conservative politicians trousering cash from their side hustles would be infuriated by such an act, given that this whole scandal is entirely Boris Johnson's own doing. If he just stood back and allowed Owen Paterson to be punished, there's every chance this thunderstorm of outrage would have simply passed over the Commons. It was his decision to intervene that has put the spotlight on the Register of Members' interests, and it's one that has cost him dearly at the polls. Now, if you'll excuse me, I appear to have misplaced my tiny violin. Here to attempt to justify the thorny issue of second jobs for MPs, it's our Conservative correspondent, the nauseatingly deferential Sebastian Forlock. (laughs) 
Thank you, Sam. And I mean that with the utmost sincerity, for once again, you have demonstrated your commitment to the essential principles of journalistic ethics by charging me with stewardship of this story. (laughs) Despite the toxic kerfuffle of vicious shaming and finger-pointing currently enveloping Westminster, you've kept your nose clean and your powder dry. (laughs) Just like the Prime Minister, you know full well that the only person qualified to investigate and punish Tory corruption is, well, a Tory. And Unlike Parliament, so wretched and partisan in its petty ethical squabbling, you have the common sense to let the good old boys hold themselves to account. After all, how can we possibly expect peasants to judge the complicated financial arrangements of their feudal lords? (laughs) Of course, some of these things look grubby, or dare I say even when you view them through the emerald prism of envy. (laughs) Good show, Daddy. You nearly got it. Bounced one off the inner thigh, though, I'm afraid. (laughs) No points for you. (sighs) I've got to say, I'm finding it rather comforting to slip back into the cheeky negligee of my unwavering support for the Conservatives. I'd started to worry that they weren't ritually humiliating me enough. (laughs) How wrong I was. Oh, me of little faith. (laughs) The eruption of this latest scandal has elevated me from mere tumescence to the sort of rigidity you could knock a cricket ball for six with. (laughs) Honestly, just... Think of it! The sight of the Prime Minister having to insist in full view of the world at COP26, the grand stage that was supposed to be his crowning achievement so far, that the UK isn't a corrupt country. All because of a completely needless scandal he brought entirely upon himself. It was also exquisitely embarrassing that I immediately spasmed and left my fainting couch looking like a painter's radio. Oh, my! A rebounder off the safety goggles. (laughs) Careful, Daddy. You'll have my bloody eye out. But, as titillating as this exercise in humiliation has been for our beloved Prime Minister, one can't help but feel he's not quite getting the same kick out of it that I am, and that leaves me feeling tremendously bereft. What should have stopped at one little resignation has rather taken on a life of its own and the miserly wretches in the media are now once again picking at the threads of all of our politicians' private financial affairs. That it turns out that it's almost exclusively Conservatives with lucrative consultancy posts and suspicious conflicts of interest just serves to highlight how grotesquely unfair their investigations have been. Of course Labour, SNP and Lib Dem politicians can get by on just their MP salaries. That breed of people live off spam and iron brew. They wouldn't know how to host an expensive business luncheon if one wandered into their squat. Oh my, that was a close one. You're getting there, Daddy. 
And the point I'm trying to make here, dear listener, is that we must not decide in haste that the rashest response to an apparent scandal is the most appropriate one. Some of these so-called conflicts of interest are actually tremendous motivators for our MPs to act in the best interests of the country. Take Ian Duncan Smith, for example. He makes £25,000 a year from a company producing hand wash. Hand wash, I might add, that we've all needed lately. And who better to improve the recipe than a man with the filthiest hands of all? A man who must scrub and scrub just to get the blood of disabled benefits claimants out of them. In our post-Brexit Britain, what could be more important than trade with an esteemed ally like Mongolia? A Mongolia, by the way, which is so laden with precious minerals that it's practically gagging for a thorough mining. (laughs) What better motivation could the government's Mongolian trade envoy have than a quarter of a million pounds consultancy position with, (laughs) you guessed it, a mining company. <laughs> if you just think of it that way, Daniel Kavczynski's story barely seems whiffy at all. <laughs> and as for Chris Grayling, well, a mere £100,000 a year from consulting for him is quite simply a bargain. <laughs> Do you really want Chris Grayling giving frontline politics his full attention? Of course you don't. We've all seen what happens. So, you see, this is really just a question of poor optics, and we actually have some fantastically stringent standards in place here in British politics. In no way are our Conservative representatives distracted or compromised by the heady fees they command moonlighting elsewhere. And I can tell you that loudly and proudly, just like the Prime Minister would have told Parliament had he not been hiding in a hospital, hoping this whole mess would blow over. I'm Sebastian Forlock, naked and spread-eagled on a marble countertop in Geoffrey Cox's Virgin Island chalet, eagerly cheering him on as he skips pounds at my exposed genitals, reporting for IC News. Yes! Go on, Daddy, you're so close. You're so close now! Oh, he split the bulb. He's split the bulb. Oh, now that's how you divide your attentions. Now, it's not just the Prime Minister's popularity with his own MPs and the wider electorate that's been going up in flames this week. It's also the whole planet, as frantic last-minute negotiations have been taking place after the close of play at COP26. While politicians have squabbled over the precise wording of their draft agreements, activists and climate protesters have been warning that the summit has failed to secure the sort of concrete pledges needed to limit warming to the 1.5 degrees needed to prevent the worst impacts of climate change. Politicians failing to rise to the occasion on climate action is nothing new, of course, lobbied incessantly as they are by the fossil fuels industry, who it was revealed earlier this week had a larger collective delegation present at COP26 than any single country participating in the talks. It's been a while since we've used Danny Sutcliffe's undercover skills, so he's been in Glasgow all week, bedded in deep with the fossil fuels lobby. That's right, Sam. The party might be over, but you know me, pal. 
that means the after party has just begun. And let me tell you, these fuckers know how to treat a guest. I didn't expect much from this assignment, mate, I've got to tell you. Spending days cooped up with a bunch of climate hippies and worthless politicians? Fuck that. But I owe you an apology, because this has been the greatest week of my life. I'm almost afraid to ask, Danny, but perhaps you could run through just what you've witnessed this week. Oh, mate, too much to even list. I started the week by cozying up to Shell. It was pretty straightforward, really. I just waited in the bathroom stall for one of the delegations to come in, and then I put YouTube on loud and pretended I was wanking to a video of an albatross dying. You know, one of the sad ones where they're all covered in oil and honking. I was immediately given a fat bag of cash and invited onto the lobbying team, and I've got to tell you, I was born for this shit. Handing out bribes to politicians is like... Um, well, it doesn't really need a simile, does it? It's as easy as it fucking sounds. So what you're essentially saying is that the size of the industry presence at COP26 was precisely what it looked like, just yet more evidence of their efforts to influence international policy and protect their profits. Now, now, Sam, that's a very partisan view of a highly complicated issue. Hang on, I've got a script here somewhere. Ah, yeah, here we go. While the industry remains committed to reducing its carbon footprint and protecting our planet's natural habitats, the world will need to rely on oil and gas for many years to come. Please accept this bag of cash in return for completely ignoring an entire generation of young voters that you should find it easy to dismiss, because they'll never vote for a right-wing bastard like you anyway. Love, ExxonMobil. <sighs> Hang on, I thought you said you were working for Shell. Potato, potato, Sam. Don't you mean potato, potato? No. What are you on about? The point I'm making is that all the big energy giants were at COP26 this week, singing from the same hymn sheet. I've bounced around all of them. Shell, Texaco, Exxon, BP, Saudi Aramco, Chevron, Woolworths. The list goes on, mate. We're a family here in the fossil fuels industry, and like family, we look after each other. Unless you're a grandkid, that is. <laughs> if you're that sort of family, then you are fucked. That's a depressing thought, Danny, but it cuts to the heart of this problem. If the fossil fuel giants are showing more unity than our world leaders, then the international efforts to limit climate change were always inevitably going to struggle. And believe me, mate, now I'm in deep with these corporate bastards, they are unified. We're not just talking about the oil and gas guzzlers either. I've had cunts in suits showing me off to all their pals in polluting industries the world over this week, and each time I've ended up making even more money. It's mental! Did you know that Mark Schneider, the CEO of Nestle, has a real live orangutan chained up in his office? You are joking, surely? Oh, it's got such sad eyes, Sam. I don't think palm oil's a very good lubricant. Still, 50 grand's a payday, innit? And politicians in Borneo barely even need persuading when it comes to child labour. It's fucking easy money. Christ, all right, Danny, I think we get the picture. Single-use plastics and waste products too. Let's not forget them. I went to an orgy on James Quincy's yacht on Wednesday. You know, the Coca-Cola bloke with the Gary Boosie teeth. Remember those pineapple and cheese hedgehogs you used to get at birthday parties as a kid? None of that shit for Quincy, pal. 
It was all plastic straws stabbed into endangered sea turtles, and then we'd use them to hoover coke off the deck. Apparently, the turtle blood gets you even higher. I'm not quite sure this is what I had in mind when I gave you this assignment, you know. And don't even get me started on the food, mate. I've been treated to lunches this week that would blow your fucking mind. Dolphin steaks, silverback gratin, jaguar pate, and more comfy seabirds than you can shake a stick at. Have you ever tasted a cormorant that's been slowly marinated in crude oil, Sam? Because I've eaten three dozen this week, and I've got to tell you, they fucking Moorish. The only problem is I'm not sure me bowels are built for all this exotic protein. I've been fracking the toilet summit rotten, and let me tell you, I have seriously contaminated the groundwater. Have you quite finished? Sorry, pal. It's just been such a whirlwind week, and this lot are still partying now. (laughs) All that work from the hippies, and we're still looking at nearly three degrees warming, and nothing fucking changing. And doesn't that appall you? Aren't you even a little disgusted that you've spent the week greasing the palms of politicians that are destroying the prospects of an entire generation? We're looking at the complete heat death of some of our most important ecosystems and two billion people displaced by extreme weather, Danny, and all the conflict and human misery that entails. It'll make the crisis at the Polish border look like fucking Disneyland. Well, obviously, none of that is ideal, mate. But that's the magic of corporate lobbying on behalf of a fossil fuels giant. You make enough fucking money that all of that seems somewhat irrelevant. Plus, I am quite numb. I've had a lot of turtle cocaine. (sighs) Well, as always, Danny, you've successfully put your own personal material interests ahead of the greater good. I know, pal. And when we're talking about energy giants and lobbying, what could be more fitting? Now, if you don't mind, I've got a big evil corporate party to get back to, and they're just about to start serving the manatee burgers. Oh, fucking hell! Schneider's orangutan's got loose! (laughs) Run, Lucinda! Run! (laughs) You deserve so much better, girl! Oh, I'm Danny Sutcliffe, and things go better with Turtle Coke. Reporting for IC News. Of course, it's not just the fossil fuels lobby that are capable of pressuring politicians and big businesses into taking action. Climate protesters have vowed to keep up the work to hold their governments to account, and their efforts are mirrored in the growing global push for a more equitable post-pandemic world. Labour shortages and supply chain problems have been handing power back to the workforce of late, and as the world returns to work after coronavirus, many of them have been questioning the frankly staggering amount of bullshit their employers have been expecting them to accept. Alison June-Smith has the key to the dimensional gate this week, and she's been searching for a universe that can teach us about the resurgent power of trade unions. 2021. It's being called the Year of the Labour Movement. As workers have re-emerged from the coronavirus pandemic, bleary-eyed and riddled with PTSD, many of them have taken a deep breath, looked around, and had an epiphany. Work sucks balls. And I don't just mean that in the sense that work as a concept is fundamentally and grotesquely unnatural. Even though it, well, just is. 
We're meant to be filling our faces with fruit and antelope meat and fucking in trees. Not exchanging years of our lives for paper tokens that we then redeem for the right to survive. Can't we skip the death of capitalism and just hurry the fuck up and Star Trek this shit already? Mama needs herself a replicator that can do a perfect poutine and a holodeck that can do a perfect Hugh Jackman. So that I can throw my poutine at him. Because Lame is the movie is about seven hours of my life that that motherfucker owes me back. However, workers the world over aren't going quite as far as me. As much as I'd love to see it, the whole concept of work itself isn't being rejected in its entirety. It's really more the increasingly shitty structure of the entire economy that workers are pissed at. Wages have been stagnant for decades. Rights and working conditions that were already poor have been eroded, and many jobs are now completely insecure by design. The pandemic has brought all of those problems into sharp focus, and at the same time, wealth inequality has exploded. The super-rich have seen their wealth skyrocket as a result of this crisis, while the humble worker at the bottom of the pile is now expected to shoulder the cost of all those expensive relief measures. Fuck that. It's a glaring and obvious injustice, and it's increasingly looking like the workers of the world agree. Over in the U.S., trade union approval is now at its highest point in years, despite the efforts of union busters and mega corporations desperate to undermine the labor movement. Do you have any idea how fucked your labor market has to be for an American to question their workplace rights? Those guys get about 10 minutes of holiday every six years and go bankrupt every time they get tonsillitis. And they're dumb enough to think that that's the dream. And it's not just in America. Industrial action has been the talk of all kinds of workforces the world over. People are sick of being exploited by a billionaire class who have the nerve to ask Twitter if they should pay their fucking taxes or not. The debate over shitty pay and conditions is being dragged, kicking and screaming, back to the boardroom table. And I, for one, am here for it. Historically, pandemics and the labor shortages that follow them have been strong drivers for workers' rights and employment reform. Free market capitalists hate to admit it, but the supply and demand mantra they love so much cuts both ways. If an employer's labor needs aren't met by the supply of the workers, the only thing they can do is try harder to attract more of them. That's why we've seen the wages of HGV drivers increase so much recently. And it's why the public sector is going to have to keep up with the market if we want to retain our hospital porters and teaching assistants. And if you're sitting there going red in the face, growing more and more desperate to mansplain inflation to me, please... Allow me to stop you right there. Inflation is already here, bro. Stop being the system's agreeable little bitch and stop talking yourself out of what you're owed. We're not talking about the destruction of the entire system here. We're talking about a rebalance of wealth, about a need to claw back grotesque corporate profit and return them to the grassroots worker. I mean, for fuck's sakes, these assholes are shooting themselves into space while millions of us live in working poverty. We are definitely at the point where the excess of the super-rich need curbing, and it's worked plenty of times throughout history without the world collapsing. You want proof of that? Just look around here, dude. 
This is Earth Delta, or Grieve Nirvana 23. Smell that fresh air? Here, they haven't spent the last 50 years having the same circular arguments about workers' rights and wealth inequality. And do you know why? Because Ronald Reagan's acting career never took off, and Margaret Thatcher's would-be dad had a sperm count that never made it into double digits. Here, the union survived and thrived, and it's truly the paradise on earth that mankind was designed for. Look, my neighbors are even fucking in a tree, just like Jesus intended. Okay, so maybe it's not paradise. There are still plenty of problems with the economy. The pandemic still took a brutal toll. And Americans still don't have health care because they're idiots who voted for even bigger idiots. Oh, morning, Harrison. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? And those guys are definitely just your common, garden-variety pair of perverts. But hey, they can afford their own house with a tree and a sex swing to fuck in it. And if that's what a union can get you, shouldn't we all be considering it? I'm Allison June Smith, reporting for IC News. Well, she certainly seems to be getting uppity. Oh, well, it's nothing a pay cut won't fix. Allison's report brings us to the end of our broadcast. We'll be back at the same time next Sunday. But until then, we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. As concern over the migrant crisis on the Polish border grows, Vladimir Putin warns Belarus against threatening Europe's gas supplies, claiming that Russia will not stand for that sort of blatant plagiarism. The lead singer of new metal band Wargasm has his head shoved down a toilet by security at a venue he was performing at. Come on now, lads. Teenage angst over that sort of school bullying is how we ended up with new metal in the first place. One in ten people in a recent poll claim they regret big purchases made during the pandemic, from bread makers to Peloton treadmills to a £37 billion test and trace service that never worked properly. And finally, YouTube scraps its dislike button to reduce stress for its content creators, because that's exactly what Jake and Logan Paul need. More confidence. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of me van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind our bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger meat. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.